It is good to be with the church this morning. Hopefully that brings back memories um, of what we've talked about before, but today we are having church because you are here to bring the church to us. So we're glad that we are here today worshiping together. And today we're going to spend some time looking at the shepherd's heart. Now, still maybe running through, okay. Um, If you don't mind, everybody, I'm going to give a little instruction on the PowerPoint to help me out here. But my dear wife, if you would right-click on this very slide right there and go to the cues where it says add cue and put sermon. I think there may be sermon with clock or something like that. There should be a cue for that. This is all riveting stuff, I know, but it's going to really help us out in the long run. Um, And then click on it again. Awesome. All right, so we're up and rolling now. Okay, so today we're going to spend some time looking at the shepherd's heart of Jesus. And what I want us most to remember from today is this statement right here. Jesus' compassion demonstrates his power and authority. Now just stop and ponder that for a few moments. Jesus' compassion demonstrates his power and authority. I'm sure you've heard it said, you know, to fight fire with fire kind of a thing. And I know that that's a real thing. Um, Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that. But with Jesus... Normally, we would say power and authority comes from being to lay down the law. Power and authority comes from being able to take control and charge of a situation. But Jesus is always reversing things. Jesus is always taking the culture and turning it on its head. And Jesus actually uses compassion to demonstrate his power and authority. Um, If you want to follow along in your Bibles, we're going to be looking mostly in the book of Mark, chapter 6. Mark, chapter 6, starting around verse 30, there's a story, a well-known story, of the feeding of the 5,000. And this, just a couple facts about this story. First off, this is the only miracle story of Jesus that gets recorded in all four Gospels. This story is found in all four Gospels, and it's the only one where there was a miracle that happened where Jesus did something miraculous, and it was recorded in all four Gospels. So that right there should give us a little clue that there's, there's some cool things to be learned from this one story. And we all know the story, or maybe have heard this story before. This is the five loaves, two fishes story, if you're familiar with that. Um, If you're not, like I said, I invite you to open your Bible and follow along in Mark chapter 6, verse, starting around verse 30. Um, But the story goes, starts off like this. Jesus has just learned about the death of his family member, of his cousin, John the Baptist. And his disciples are together, and they've been ministering and working hard. And Jesus decides that it is time to take a break. And he says... There, it's like, we need to go and have a retreat. And so they load up the boat, 
get into the lake and begin to go across to a deserted place, a place that nobody really ever goes to hang out so that they can retreat and be alone. Maybe you've experienced this, but this is a classic story of the world is way too small. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this. A few years ago when I was up in Grass Valley, um, I started working on my master's. And in an effort to find time to work on my studies in different places, because I needed just different environments to um, focus on my stuff. It couldn't always be just at the house. The bed was too close to my office on the other side of the house. It still was too close. And in writing that paper, I was already falling asleep, and I was like, let's just lay on my bed, man. This makes more sense. So I had to go around to different places. And one of the places I liked to come was actually down here to the Rockland, kind of Roseville area. And so one day I had blissfully found myself lost in a crowd of people um, at Starbucks in the corner, typing away, doing my thing, feeling like I've removed myself far enough from Grass Valley. For all of you down here in the lowlanders, you never would drive to Grass Valley for almost any reason. I know it. I could, when I lived there, I couldn't believe it. Everybody's like, Grass Valley, that's so far away. Oh, just yesterday I was hearing it about the fact that graduation, uh, the consecration from Pine Hills took place there, and people were like, I have to drive all the way to Grass Valley. Oh. oh. Anyway, it's not, it, the reverse is not the truth. Uh, we, we come down here all the time from Grass Valley. And so here I am sitting in this crowd of people lost, blissfully unaware of anybody that's around me, working diligently on my homework, when suddenly my foot is kicked and there stands in front of me someone that I know. And suddenly my special hiding place is turned into a place where I now have to interact with people. And as an introvert, I need to be ready for that experience. Um, and so I have to kind of amp myself up for that, you know, so I wasn't ready. And I was like, oh, hey, okay. Anyway, but Jesus is here and he needs a retreat and he goes away and really discovering that the world is too small. In fact, the lake is too small in reality. And they go across the lake and the Bible says the multitudes saw them departing, Jesus and the disciples, and many knew him. And they ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. Okay, there, there's, some, there's a lot of interesting things happening in this text right here. Um, first off, apparently boats is not the fastest mode of transportation because the people beat Jesus to where he was going. But what I really want to focus on is just the little phrase that we find here in Mark, where it says, and many knew him. Jesus apparently was kind of a creature of habit. They had kind of figured out what he did, and they knew where he liked to go. They knew where Jesus wanted to go to retreat. And I think we all have had experiences like that where a good friend of ours or somebody that we know, we understand where they're going to go to get away. And we can kind of, through process of elimination and maybe two or three guesses, figure out where they're at and track them down. 
Um, I feel like my wife can do that. Um, I don't like that. Um, but whatever. But they knew Jesus enough to know where he was going. But there's more interest in that statement for me because they knew Jesus. They knew the habits of Jesus. They knew the tendencies of Jesus, of where he wanted to go. And when they saw them get into the boat, they said, I think Jesus is going over here. Come on, let's go. And they run around the lake. Now, one of the coolest things about going to Israel is that you get this picture of mine. Because when I think they went around the lake or they went across the lake, you go across the lake, okay? Um, but this was more like they went across a cove, you know, kind of a thing, a little bay on the lake. It wasn't a very long distance that they were going in the boat, and so it really is possible that these people could have run around to where they were going and beaten Jesus there. But they abandoned the cities to go to where Jesus is because they knew him. Did they know him? Did they know Jesus? Can we sometimes know about Jesus? Know the tendencies of Jesus? Know that if I come to a building and participate in church, I might meet Jesus there and just, I think that's where he's going to be. And we know where Jesus is. We know that we can go to the mountains and retreat up there. We can have the luxury of being able to go to Tahoe, go hike in the mountains on a hot day in the valley. We can go up and experience the cool, crisp air of the mountains and we can retreat and we know that we can meet God there. We know where we can meet God, but do we know God? Do we know Jesus? Because I don't think that many of these people truly knew Jesus and what he meant to them. I think that this is really seen in this story when we get to this phrase. Now, I need to talk a little bit about Mark and just let you know, Mark is thought by scholars to be the first gospel written. And Mark is actually assumed to be a source for some of the other gospels. Mark is also really not a story so much as it is a theology of the cross. Mark is in an extreme rush to get from the baptism of Jesus to the crucifixion week. And everything that in Mark that happens, happens immediately. The word immediately is used many times in the book of Mark, and it just kind of, it creates this motion, this, this movement of the story, of this theology of saying all of this stuff points to the cross. All of what's happening in Jesus' life points to the cross and where Jesus is going and the most important thing that's going to happen. And so when in Mark we see different clues, we should stop and pause when something doesn't make sense. Because in a rushed story, some of the details don't truly matter. But in verse, I can't read that small print, but I can, this one's okay. In verse 39, if you're following along in the Bible, look at verse 39. It says, Then Jesus directed them, meaning the disciples, to have all the people sit down 
in the groups on the green grass. Now, which word in there doesn't belong or is strange? Just shout out a couple. What's that? Green. This is Mark. Doesn't care about details. Doesn't care about a lot of these things. Is just interested in telling the story to present the theology of the cross. And he stops to say, Jesus made him sat down in groups on the green grass. I think that Mark might be describing a second miracle in this story. Now, a lot of scholars will use the green grass and stuff to kind of try and date the story and say it happened at this time of year. None of the other Gospels point this little fact out, and I just wonder, could it be that Jesus not only was about to feed these people miraculously, but he gave them a place to sit down nice and, cre- nice and green and lush that just kind of rose up out of the ground at his command. I don't know that. I'm not saying that. It's absolute fact, but I just have to stop and wonder. Because this idea of why would Mark point out that Jesus made them sit down on the green grass? Remember, Jesus was all about helping us, helping his disciples, helping the Israelites at the time, those that he was with. He was all about helping them know who he was as the Messiah. And I think they would have begun to have this moment. Have you ever like had that moment when you realize, or I think you see this in movies sometimes, where it's like you realize, wait a minute, I'm actually living this story. Or you, you have this kind of sense of like, I can't believe I'm di- this is happening. It's like, it, am I living a part of this story? Is this really happening? This seems to be strange. And I think that the, that the people there could have started to recognize, wait a minute, this has been prophesied. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ezekiel. If you don't, I'll put it up on the screen for you. Um, Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 11. This is a prophecy about the Messiah. And it says, For this is what the Sovereign Lord says, Look, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. Verse 14. In a good pasture, I will feed them. The mountain heights of Israel will be their pasture. There they will lie down in a lush pasture, and they will feed on rich grass on the mountains of Israel. In a prophecy about Jesus, the Messiah as a shepherd, this picture is painted in Ezekiel, that they will be led to the mountains of Israel, the hilltops around Israel, And they will be set down in this lush pasture and fed on this green grass, on this beautiful scene. Jesus, again, is doing all that he can to say, understand, you are living the prophecy. You are in the moment. 
I am the one that you have been waiting for. And he is pulling out all the stops to say, listen, I am the one. I am the one that you have been waiting for. Because remember, they were, they were caught up in, in who Jesus, they wanted Jesus to be. They were caught up in Jesus setting them free from their current captivity, not realizing the riches that Jesus had to offer them. In, in John, this story continues on, and very soon after that, the people are kind of questioning Jesus when this talk of Jesus as the bread of life, as the daily bread. And they're, they're brought back to this idea of, of manna. Because remember, we also should be thinking, this Jesus is presenting himself as, listen, you know, I am truly, I am the, the Moses. I am Moses kind of come back to lead you out. Understand that again, this story that is about your people, you are living it again and I am the one. And John Jesus said to them, after they kind of challenged him on this, he says, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you true bread from heaven. They were caught up in Moses being the one who had fed the people, but Jesus was saying, listen, no, Moses didn't feed the people. God fed the people. And God is here to feed you again. Please see this, understand that I am this Messiah, I am the one that you have been waiting for, and even if you don't understand what I am all about, understand that I am still the one that you want to follow. And so Jesus is pulling out all these stops to show the people of the time who he is. Do we know Jesus? I hope that we can answer that yes. I hope that we can answer and say, yes, we know Jesus. We don't just know where we can meet Jesus, but we are working on knowing Jesus, understanding who he is and what he can do in our lives. Know that Jesus has this power, that Jesus is the one who has come to lead us out, to lead us through whatever storm may come our way. Jesus is the one who can lead us through Please hear that today. Today we know that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Savior. But do we miss out on how Jesus wants to recreate us? Do we miss out on what Jesus wants to do with the salvation? Or do we just stop and say, Jesus has saved me. All right. But do we miss out on the life with Jesus? The abundant life that we talk about. The the life of knowing the Savior and the power that that can then have in our lives. Jesus can do amazing things in our lives. Jesus has this power, and all of the stories that are told in the Gospels are here to remind us about what Jesus wants to do, because we have no problem understanding that Jesus is the Savior. We know that He died on the cross. We know that He rose from the grave. We know these things. But do we just kind of know that? Do we know the power that the risen Savior has in our lives. Know that Jesus can do something miraculous in your life today. Feeding us today, right now, miraculously, is nothing compared to what Jesus has done, is doing, and will continue to do in our lives when we allow Him in. And He creates us miraculously from a dry, desert, barren 
clay into a lush meadow with life, beaming with joy and happiness. Jesus can accomplish that for us today. We also see in this story, out of the miracle, we see this power. We see the authority that Jesus has over things. But we begin to see compassion. Um, The Bible says in the story, Mark chapter 6, verse 34, Jesus had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus had compassion. Compassion is an interesting concept. Mother Teresa had this saying that I thought was very interesting. I find the same thing missing in the lands of plenty as in the lands of poverty. Compassion. Compassion is a huge, huge, powerful idea. When we understand the power that compassion can have in others' lives, we mostly understand that when we see it given to us, when we've experienced compassion. But Jesus wants to work compassion in our lives. But more than that, Jesus calls us to live compassion. Chuck Swindoll had this saying, The church is the only outfit that I know of that shoots its wounded. If you've experienced that today and have braved walking back in, I will just say, I am sorry. If any place calling itself the church has hurt you in a way of shooting its wounded, I am sorry. Please understand that that's not Jesus. Please understand that this is a church because it is filled with people who are the church. But please understand it is filled with the broken, sinful people who still trip and stumble. But as we sung this morning, when we fall down, He is there to lift us up. And so know that the compassion of Jesus is available to you today if you've experienced something awful in the name of Jesus. How can we as a church have more compassion? I think in today's culture, one of the biggest stumbling blocks we have to compassion is that we believe that money equals compassion. In our society of, of plenty, of affluence, of, of wealth, we want to be able to throw money at the problem. We haven't collected offering here today, so please continue to throw money at some problem. Okay? Don't totally stop. Okay? I just want to make sure I'm clear what I'm trying to say. But understand this. Money does not equal compassion. We cannot just take, sacrifice a meal at a restaurant, sacrifice buying a new car, and think that we have been compassionate to somebody because 
we need to be down in the trenches with the people because they need to feel the love of Christ working through someone and into their lives. Know that compassion is not just about giving money. And I see this in my life the most when the person is on the corner. I want nothing to do with them, number one. I just, there's too much going on in my life, and I'm just like, I don't, why are you doing this? My dad told me a story of some beggar in Kansas City that he saw get out of a Cadillac on one corner and walk around to the next block and sit down and start begging. And I guess he was brave enough to go up and ask him, what are you doing? He's like, well, this is 60 grand of tax-free money. And I'm just, it's ruined me. I struggle to say I want to help these people. But if I do want to help those people, and believe me, I want to help. I want to help. Don't, don't hear that I don't want to help. It's just in that situation, I struggle because it's like I want to help this person then. And if I muster up the energy to do it, I'm going to feel fine if I just throw my spare change out the window. Not throw it out the window, but if I hand my spare change out of the window, I'm going to feel like, okay, I've done something. And I've been compassionate, and hopefully they've seen Jesus there. But is that truly compassion? What does it take to be compassionate to others? What do we need to do to show this compassion that Jesus is offering to others. First off, we need to understand that the compassion of Jesus is working in our lives. We need to see how Jesus has forgiven us, has cleansed us, has set us free. That is the compassion that Jesus wants to have, that Jesus wants us to have for others. And the simple answer is not to stress about how we do it or if I'm going to do it right. The simplest answer is to just say, today I'm going to be compassionate. To share the love of Jesus with someone. This, this concept, even though I said it's today's culture, the disciples struggled with this concept too. Because on that hill, in that moment when they'd been there all day teaching and talking and healing, and the day was getting long, they just wanted to throw money at the problem as well. The Bible says this is a remote place, the disciples are saying. And we need, it's very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages to, and buy themselves something to eat. In some of the stories... It talks about one of the disciples answers back and says, but Jesus, even 200 denarii, which is like 200 days wages, even 200 days wages couldn't feed these people. What are we going to do? The disciples even then tried to throw money at the problem and say money is limiting our idea, our ability to be compassionate. But they were focused on the means when they were with the maker. They were focused on the means of how they were going to do this when they were with the maker, with Jesus who could do anything, and they had seen this happen. Please understand, this wasn't their first day with Jesus, but they still didn't understand the compassion and power of Jesus. And so Jesus, wanting to help them along, just kind of says to them, 
you give them something to eat. They, of course, are just like, uh, okay, we don't know how to do that. Jesus answers back, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. The disciples go out and then come back with report that they have the five loaves and two fishes. Jesus didn't say, go find enough loaves to feed them. He just said, how many do you have? Don't allow yourself to see the impossibility when Jesus sees the possibility in you. Know that Jesus is there to do impossible things because of his power and authority that he displays through compassion. Jesus understands where we are at and understands that we just have to bring whatever it is that we have. Don't see the impossibility. See the possibility in Jesus. So they go out. They collect these five loaves and they bring them to Jesus. And he, of course, multiplies the loaves and the fishes. He feeds everybody to the fill. To the fill? Really? He feeds them till they're full. I'll say it that way. That sounds better. Um, he feeds them until they're full to the point that the 12 disciples go and collect 12 basketfuls of leftovers. When Jesus supplies us, he supplies us in abundance. When Jesus supplies us, he's going to supply you in abundance. And when we bring what we have, not what we need, but what we have, Jesus can turn that impossibility into an abundant possibility of riches, of of compassion, of experience, of, of just life with Jesus. A word from Jesus has power. A word from Jesus called the disciples. Come, follow me. And these men dropped their belongings and followed Jesus. A word from Jesus cast out demons. A word from Jesus calms the raging sea. A word from Jesus raises a little girl to life. The word from Jesus raises the dead. The, a word from Jesus has power. A word from Jesus forgives people of their sins. A word from Jesus creates the galaxies. A word from Jesus creates the stars, the heavens. A word from Jesus brings power in your life. Know today that that word is available to us. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power available to us in Jesus' name. And Jesus wants to use his power to show us this compassion. A compassion that is going to meet 
every need that you have. A compassion that is going to set you free. Why do we not accept the freedom that Jesus has for us? Why do we not trust that the power that created all of these things, the word of compassion that came to us, can do grand things in our lives? We need to understand that, and more importantly, we need to share that with others. We need to show this compassion to others. We need to go and see what Jesus has in store for us. The compassion of Jesus, in the compassion of Jesus, is his power and authority. Jesus has the power and authority to do impossible things. So when you are in that situation, know that you see no way out. Jesus has already found the way. Know that Jesus will be there to walk you through whatever it is that you are facing. Know that Jesus has power for you today. But one of the toughest things when we talk about showing others compassion, when we talk about doing things for others, we think we don't have enough to bring. Uh, Desire of Ages says, Successful work for Christ depends not so much on numbers or talent as upon pureness of purpose and the true simplicity of earnest, dependent faith. Jesus doesn't ask us to bring everything we need. He just says, bring everything you have. The compassion of Jesus will be powerful in our lives. And what would we as a church look like if we took the church out these doors and this week showed that compassion to others? If we looked inside this building today within our church and saw those who needed compassion today, because I know there are those here who are hurting today. And we may say, I don't know how to, I don't know how to approach. I don't know what to do. Just bring what you have and know that the power of Jesus is there to provide what you don't have. To provide all that you need to do what he has asked. The clock is blocked. So I don't see the clock. So I'm going to just need a little shout out about the time. Because I don't want to go long. 11.14, I heard stopping time. All right, very good. That's right. It's, it's close enough. Understand, Jesus has compassion. In the compassion of Jesus, there is power and authority that he wants to send into our lives. Trust that today. Challenge Jesus today and say, God, I've thought about it, but today I'm going to challenge your compassion. Show me your compassion and show me the power that it will have in my life.
God's mercy is available for you today. I love the verse in the Bible that says, your mercies are new every morning. The mercies of Christ are new every morning for us. He wants to work miracles in our lives. Do not forget what Jesus has done. Do not forget what Jesus wants to do in your life and what he has shared to show his power and ability to do that. Understand the compassion that Jesus wants to show you today. Let's pray. God, today, we spent time looking at the compassion that you have shown, how you so much want us to know who you are, and you've given us all these glimpses. Lord, take away our blindness. Lord, take away our frustrations. Take away the times when we just don't want to see what you have done. Lord, I pray that you will help us to live in the truth of your compassion, to live in the the warmth of your power and embrace and to dwell in the mercies that you give us. So God, we thank you for your many blessings and may we live with the power of Jesus in our lives. We ask these things in his saving name. Amen.